Can I get some little more light in the back up here? Thanks. There we go. Let's go to the book of Colossians, chapter 2. We are moving slowly. We are moving right along. I think of, was it Kermit the Frog used to sing that or something? <laughs> yeah. Starting with verse 8, we will 8 to 15 this morning if we, the Lord so finds it gracious to get through it. Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of sins of the flesh of the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he is made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Fathers, we continue our study in the book of Colossians. We just pray that you would help the word come alive. Lord, there's so many principles and so many things even in this passage. I just pray that you would open our, our ears, our minds, our hearts to receive your word. Father, we thank you for what you're speak. We're going to speak to us this morning through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, this passage starts out in an interesting spot. It would be kind of nice to go through it all and then go back to the beginning, beginning verses. It says, Beware lest anyone cheat you. Through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. As we've traveled through the book of Colossians, one of the principles that come out has come out is that Christ is preeminent. He is the one, and that's what we're going to hit a lot in this passage, that Christ is all in all. He is all that matters. And we've been studying that and learning that, and so the Apostle Paul is, is again, telling the church of Colossae, beware. There's a lot of philosophies being taught. There's a lot of traditions of men going on that they were battling again against. And so he says, beware if anyone cheat you. We don't want to be cheated. Now, the, the Greek word here is really not cheat. Uh, you know, I, I, sometimes I just find I, I, they just don't translate it well. So, who has the word spoil? Anyone got a spoil in your version? Uh, most of you probably has, have um, taken away. Don't be taken away captive. The word spoil in the, isn't the word spoil like rot like we think. Um, the word spoil is, is to spoil, 
to take away. When you go and you spoil, you take the spoils, you plunder something. That's the literal word. And so when we, when we read the word spoil in our translation, we go, huh? And then cheat isn't quite right. What they're saying is don't let anyone take you captive by philosophies, by empty promises, by traditions of men, by the basic principles of the world. And that's actually, if you look at cults, very few people enter cults from no religion at all. Many of the cults are taken from Christianity. And what's happened is Christians have a basic understanding, but they hear, they get introduced to a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness or something that's, that's off a little bit, but they don't have a Christian background, and they're actually taken captive into a cult. And we've got to be very careful in Christianity to never be taken captive, drawn away by some of these things. Sometimes it happens right within the church, and we're maybe not getting taken away uh, from our salvation into a cult, but we're being taken away from the true gospel. We have to be careful of being taken away from the list that it brings up here. It says philosophies. Remember, the word philosophy literally means lover of wisdom. And in our, in our society, it dates back all the way to, to the Greeks with the philosophers, uh, with Plato and Aristotle, those who would bring up wisdom, and they would sit around and just talk about wisdom and, and these things. And it's so easy today in our culture as we like to debate. You get into college, uh, if anyone went to college, you know, you know, philosophy is a big class. People just like to talk about their theories. And what I'm seeing in the world today, just people who like to talk about their beliefs and mix them all together and say, wow, isn't this all great how we can just all get along really well? And we can't. We can't be dragged away by people who love wisdom. We can't be dragged away by empty philosophies, by empty deceit. And it says, according to the tradition of men. There's a lot of traditions out there that we, that are, some are good, some aren't. And we do them here in the church all the time. Not, not just, and in this church we think, oh, we don't have too many traditions. So we typically think of the traditions maybe of the Catholic Church. And they do certain things that have developed over the years. So many of them are extra biblical and some of them are anti-biblical. There are things that have been, been done for centuries. And they're just traditions of men. And they've, people have been dragged away into to doing these repetitions. There's some great things, but we don't ever want to be dragged away and buy into just the traditionalism and forget Christ. And here in this church, we, you know, we have some traditions. We, have, we, we, we serve donuts and snacks before for church. And that's one of our traditions, right? We have another tradition that we always start late. Right. <laughs> yeah? And human traditions. We want to stay on time. And so we can, we can begin to work on those. But, but we have to be careful when we're looking at things as whether or not these are principles of Christ or human traditions. And then are they, are they good? Are they leading us to Christ? There are some things um, that are, are traditions that people don't know what they are. And you may recognize this motion. Okay. Now, now, what church does this? Catholic. Does, raise your hand if you think you know what this is. Okay, I'm going to say, what do you think this is? Sprinkling holy water. Okay, sprinkling holy water. What's the purpose? Does anyone know? It's blessing. Actually, if I am correct, and I could be wrong, it's to remind you of your baptism. 
It is holy water and their blessing, but it's also to remind you of your baptism, which actually the first time I was in the Catholic Church and understood that, I said, sprinkle me again. Because it wasn't that the priest was blessing me, it was that I was being reminded that I made a profession of my faith and followed Christ into baptism. But people do these empty traditions, human traditions, all the time. And we get, sometimes like I said, sometimes they're neutral, sometimes they, they lose meaning, and that's all it is, is a tradition of man. We don't want to be dragged away and held in captive tra to traditions. We don't want to be held, in ca held captive by philosophies or empty deceit, or according to the basic principles of the world. And that, I'm not going to get, get into that, but the basic principles of the world can, can is a really a deep study because it connects not only with the, the basic principles of the world, which we could say, hey, you know, if you're hungry, eat, right? You know, basic principles, but can also say, hey, if you want it, take it. If, if she's good looking, go after her. Those are basic tr principles of, of man that, that a lot of people just go for. You know, if it feels good, do it. We've heard that one all over the place. That's a basic principle. We don't want to be dragged away by those. Also, the basic principles in the study that I, I began to and I had to stop, it was pretty exciting. When you start connecting it with other places that that Greek term was used, was also talking about the spiritual realm, the spirits the basic angels, the basic spirits, and some of the translations might even talk of, what, what does yours say then on that? The elemental spirits of the world. And so it's also talking about a spiritually, don't be dragged away by the spirits, and we're going to get into that a little bit, how we live in a spiritual kingdom. We're not just natural. And these things, what we're talking about in verse 8, is, is really about the natural side. And that's what the church at Colossae was, was battling, these natural thinking and traditions. And let's blend these things because it sounds good. Say, don't let yourself be dragged away as spoil, as, as being taken captive by somebody else. It is said, verse 9, well, at the end of verse 8, I'm sorry, and not according to Christ. Everything for us as believers has to be rooted and built in Christ, not in the church, not in human tradition, not in human philosophies. It has to be built in Christ, which is through, through Him, through His Word. And everything that we do should line up with Him. Now, we can get super religious and say, so therefore, and this is what some denominations have done, there's no mention of musical instruments in the New Testament, so therefore they don't use musical instruments in their, in their worship, the Church of Christ. And so we can get caught up in, in, in some of those things and that if it's not in the Bible, we can't do it. Well, we shouldn't drive cars because there was no cars in the Bible. So I don't think Jesus ever brushed his teeth. We're not, going, we're not saying that, but what does Christ say? Does it go, go against the things he says and the principles he lined up? Everything we do needs to be in Christ. We need to do things according to Christ. Now here, going to verse 9, this is where it starts really getting good. You know, so, he is enough. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You know, he is everything. In him dwells all the fullness, all the deity is in Christ. He's enough. There isn't anything that we need to add to Jesus. 
Everything we are and should be and do is in Christ. And He is absolutely enough. We don't need to add anything. Have from Jesus, plus a little extra book, the Pearl of Great Price in the Book of Mormon. No, Jesus is enough. Here from Jesus, plus a little extra list of things that you have to do in order to be saved. No, Jesus is enough. He is our sufficiency. Here's Jesus plus. No, no, no. It's Jesus in Him. In Him is all the God, all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Him behind Him. It's so important this union that we're about to discover here. In Christ, being we are in Him, continue to read, and you are complete in Him who is the head of all principality and power. So in Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. If you've got the New King James, it says, and you are complete in Him. Does anyone have a version that says, and you are full, and you are filled? It's the same Greek word. It's at one's noun and one's the verb. But this is what, what was said in the original language, and it's so powerful. In Christ, He's filled with all the Godhead, right? In, in Him. He's complete. And we are, in Him, complete. In Christ dwells all the fullness, the filling of the Godhead. And we are filled in Him. What's that saying? As we are in Him, everything that is in Christ is in us. We have everything we need as we're in Him. But as we're outside of Him, we have nothing. As we're in Him, all the fullness of the Godhead dwells. That means that as we're in Him, the fullness of the Godhead dwells. That doesn't mean it makes us God, but we have everything in Christ. This goes right to the book of John, chapter 14, where here's the disciples. Now, the disciples were Jews, and they were following, they were following the law of Moses, and Jesus comes on the scene, and he becomes really their rabbi, and they're following him, and Jesus is, is just the answer. They, they begin to think he's the Messiah. But in John, chapter 14, when you go and read it, Jesus begins to just shake them up to the core. This is a chapter where he begins to say, if you've seen, seen me, you've seen the Father. We're in Him. I'm, I'm in Him, He and me. And, and He just takes us to a whole new level, making Himself equal with God. That was not a good idea in Jewish tradition. There is no one here in Israel that Lord thy God is one God. And so Jesus is coming down saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Wait a second, that can't happen. But Jesus just, just keeps going and keeps talking. He doesn't even give them time to react because he wants them to get this principle. And then through John chapter 14, which I encourage you to read and, and let it soak in in light of this chapter in Colossians that we're in Christ. Christ is all the fullness of Godhead and we're in Him. Go back and read John chapter 14 that then Jesus says, and I'm in you. And then he goes on and says, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will dwell inside of you. And so here we are, in, we have everything, the fullness of the Godhead, because we're in Christ. Everything available to God is available in Christ to us. And I just want to fall down and, under the weight of that. It's absolutely amazing. We come to church every Sunday, we live our, our Christian lives, and we don't grasp 
the gravity and the awesomeness of the relationship that we have with Almighty God in Jesus, in the Holy Spirit. It's, it's so powerful. I encourage you to keep praying through that this week and, and really say, God, help me to understand it. Not logically, but what does this mean? He expressed the same point earlier in chapter 1, and he said, um, Christ is the image of the invisible God. All things have been created through him and are for him, in Colossians 1.15. And he goes right to speaking to the body of Christ. He is, in, in chapter 1, he is also the head of the body of the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. In him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Because Jesus embodies the fullness of God, all of us who are in him have been made full, complete. The Greek word for that is often translated perfect. It means that there's, there's nothing else, there's nothing lacking. It's not perfect as in perfectly holy. It's perfect as in there's nothing else you need. I need. But in Christ, there is nothing more I need. Last night, this morning, as you, as you were tempted and maybe got angry with your spouse or, or, or any of your kids and you sinned, you are still lacking nothing because you dwell in Christ and Christ dwells in you. So powerful. So powerful. So this is the, the first point of, of this passage that we're going for through is, is just that, that um, we have this amazing union with the one and only God. He will be in us, John 14 said. I look at the clock, I can't even see it because my glasses are... There's another thing, uh, moving on. The second thing we want to look at in this, in this passage through, through Colossians this morning is that we have been circumcised spiritually in Christ. So we, we are completely as the head of all principality and power. In Him, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. In Him. Everything has to be in Him. If it's not in Him, we're outside of Him and, and, and we're really we're dead in our own sin. But in Him, we're circumcised. Now, He's giving this graphic illustration up because these are Jews, but these are people who are trying to put on to them some of the Jewish traditions, some of the things of the law. And the first biggest part of Judaism is you have to be circumcised. And so that would, that would stop most people right there because they're adult men and they're saying, hey, if I want to become Jew, a Jew, I need to be circumcised. Doesn't sound like a fun thing to be a tear for. Paul says, though, you've been circumcised spiritually, not physically. Don't go back into the things of the flesh. Don't go and follow the rules of Judaism. God has done something already in your life. You've been circumcised spiritually. That is that the, the flesh has been put off. And circumcision is the cutting off of flesh. Right? Of the foreskin. It's pretty gross. And, and, but the word in the, in the Greek here when it says putting off the flesh is a twofold word. It, doesn't, it means cutting off, but it also means throwing away. Throwing away. That's when we are circumcised spiritually. We cut off our flesh 
and we threw it away. It's not supposed to be part of our life any longer. We became spiritual beings. We live in Him. And so the flesh has been cut away, and it should be annihilated. It shouldn't be part of us any longer. We are spirit. And that's a spiritual transaction that has taken place. Picking and choosing what I, I want to go through in our time this morning. Sorry. He's buried the Colossians, even as we need to now. Don't get yourself, as the book of Galatians is all about, don't get yourself under a yoke of slavery to obeying the commands, obeying the law. We don't have to obey and do in order to be saved. We don't have to fulfill certain things in order to have relationship with Christ. Really what it is is we obey the Lord because we have relationship with Christ. We have to keep the, the right progression. It's not that we get to sin and do whatever we want because we're free in Christ. But the other thing is that we don't have to do certain things in order to get free in Christ. We are free. We have relationship with Him. And because we have relationship with Him, we serve Him. We don't flip it around. And that's something some of us struggle with. Some of you struggle with even more than others. I just need to do this for the Lord. I just, if I don't, and there's something internally that just speaks and yells, you've got to go to church, and you've got to do this, and you've got to do that, and you're under so much pressure. And that pressure is not from God. That pressure is from your thinking, and sometimes from the enemy. We don't have to do those things. We get to do those things. We don't have to please God. We get to please God. We get to be in relationship. And when you're in a loving, non-abusive relationship, you want to do things for the person you're in relationship with. When you are compelled to do things for the partner you're, that you're in relationship with, that's abusive. God is not abusive. He doesn't want you to be compelled to do those from, from this exterior thing, but He wants it to be out of love. And say, Lord, if this is what you want... I want to do what you want to do. For us guys, do we really like chick flicks? But if we sit down with our wife, Josh and I were even talking about some that we've sat down with our spouses and watched. And like, I don't think we'd sit and watch them by ourselves. If we did, we wouldn't tell anyone. <laughs> but, but we watch these movies with our, with our spouses because it just, it, it, it brings them joy that we sit and watch this movie with them. And because we want that relationship, because we're in there and we want to please them, we go, I'm just, I just love you and I'm just going to do this. And that's our relationship with God. But, but the circumcision is, is about getting rid of the flesh. And it's such a powerful picture because that flesh has been destroyed and it's a spiritual act. We don't have to do anything. We are no longer condemned. In the flesh, we were living dead people. We, we, we were dead in our sins. And we were circumcised in our spirit. And our flesh was taken away. And so because of that, Romans 8, 1 says that we are no longer condemned. It says, His own son, the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit.
and those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So we were circumcised, our flesh was, was stripped away from us. We should no longer walk in the flesh. We should no longer try to resuscitate our flesh. We're a new creation. And this is such a, 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 a deep message because we come face to face with Paul's discourse in Romans chapter 7, I believe. That which I want to do, I don't do. That which I don't want to do, I do do. And he goes through this thing that we've all done, saying, I don't understand the spirit flesh thing. Why do I battle so hard? Oh, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? See, our spirit was made alive. Our flesh was crucified. It was cut away in the spiritual circumcision. But because we live in this world, we still have temptations, and we have the memories. See that we are no longer controlled by the flesh. Even though some of you feel like you are absolutely controlled, you're not. You have power. If you are in Christ, you have power over the flesh in Christ. As you walk in the Spirit, the Bible says we won't gratify the lust of the flesh. So there's a spiritual thing where we find ourselves drawn back to the flesh because of, of the, the enemy who is alive and throwing the darts that we have power over him. He still is alive. We're also drawn back even just because of the memories that we have of sin. And there's this battle that we have that, that sin we think is going to taste sweet and really it's bitter in our mouth. And so we go into those little, we get tempted and we go into sin and the whole time it's bitterness in our mouth. We hate how we feel when, when we're tempted to do it. We do it and we hate how we do it and we're at this war all the time. And we're not free to be free until we're in heaven. But the Bible says if you walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. So if you're having a hard time overcoming, you need to begin to look. How am I walking? Am I willing am I to please the old self? Am I living in those things? Am I walking in the Spirit? And just begin to follow Him. And don't even need to pray in tongues 24 hours a day. So that might help. That, that just begin to pray and press into Him and, and, and hear His voice more. But take an inventory of your life and you'll probably find things that are just adding up and, and pulling you away because of the reminder of, of that sinful nature. We're never going to make it. I may just stop trying here in a minute. We'll, we'll go to a second part after Mother's Day. As we move on, as we move on to the, the next, the third thing, it says that we were buried with Him in baptism, in which you also were raised with Him through faith in the working of God who raised Him from the dead. God raised us with Christ and He made us alive together with Him. The point here in, in the argument could be he's talking about baptism and you've got to be baptized to be saved, but he's talking about the spiritual implications that happened with baptism. Now, in the Bible, when you read it, people get saved and are baptized immediately. And we, we don't do that as a practice, and, and I question why we don't. And I haven't really, I've come up with some thoughts of why we don't baptize immediately. Some cultures still do that. They, they get saved and they get baptized. I believe for one of the reasons that we don't is because we don't have a proper understanding of what salvation is, 
of what committing to a religion, which is Christianity is more than a religion, but what committing to a religion is. In the days of the New Testament, they had a real understanding. Because if you were to change religions, if you were a Jew and were going to change religion and, and be, accept Christ as the Messiah, it was a radical step. It wasn't just something like, hey, sounds good. Go to a meeting and say, hey, I'll become a Christian today and say a sinner's prayer. And my life has changed. There was an inventory that you had to take because you know your culture. by, And it's the same in Muslim cultures today. It's the same in many cultures. When you change your religion, you know that you're about to lose, possibly, most likely, your family, maybe your home, maybe your job, status. You might lose the freedom. You might be on the run. In some cultures, by accepting Christ openly, you are stepping over lines saying that I could now be arrested for my faith. And so, so the symbol of baptism was, I'm all in. And so they would be saved and they'd be baptized. But whenever you see somebody converting to Christ, they baptize them immediately. In our culture, we wait. And, and the reason I believe we wait, at least the way, reason I wait, is I want to make sure people understand the commitment that they've made. And it's, it, we say when we're doing good classes, it's an outward sign of the inward profession of faith. I believe it's more than that also, but that's why we wait. Say, are you sure you understand? Because following Christ is a big decision. It's not something that should ever be entered into lightly, just like marriage. And so, so, but I don't believe he's talking about physical baptism, though all the believers, I believe, were baptized because that's how they did it. He's talking about spiritual baptism. The word baptism in the Greek is which is used for so many things. It was used for cleansing, for washing, for, for dying garments. Um, they, you could be baptized into Christ. You could be baptized into death. You could be baptized. And, and so the word had a lot of meaning. So we're not just talking about your physical baptism, but your spiritual baptism, just as we talked about a spiritual circumcision. We were buried with Christ, but when that happened, we didn't find ourselves in a tomb, in a grave. We were buried in Christ. It, it describes um, being fully cleansed, fully immersed into Christ. And then it says, we were also raised up in Him alive. In Christ. We were circumcised with circumcision, made without hands. We were buried with him in baptism, in which we were also raised with him through faith in the working of God. You were once dead, and you've been made alive. I was dead, and I'm alive. Yet I walk as a dead man sometimes. I agree with the old memories. I get right back into that depression or that place of woe is me or into, into my thoughts. I'm a new creature. You're a new creature. We don't walk the way we used to. We shouldn't walk the way we used to. There is nothing that, that the enemy of the world has power over us. In Christ we have all the power and we've been made alive. We don't need anything else. Christ is sufficient. He's enough. The question comes for us this morning, do we live like He's enough? How much are you adding into your Christianity, into your life? What are you trying to add to bring fulfillment? What are you trying to add to, to let your Christianity and your religious experience be full? Those things need to pale away, and we need to focus just back on Jesus. He's enough. He's the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Him, and we in Him. So the fullness of the Godhead is in us and we have everything we need for life and godliness.
by one Spirit, we were baptized into one body. Clothed with Christ. These are descriptions of what God uses to show us that we are new creations. We were in Him. We were cleansed in Him. We were put into Him. We were clothed with Him. We don't do for these, anything for Him physically. We're in Him spiritually. Going on. Verse 13 says, And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He is made alive together with Him, having forgiven you all your trespasses. Verse 14, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Wow. You're forgiven. I'm forgiven. Everything that was ever against us, everything that was ever against you, was nailed to the cross. In Him, we have absolute forgiveness. That sin, that weight that you keep remembering, that you keep trying to carry, isn't for you to carry. It was removed. Don't go and try to turn it around anymore. It was nailed at the cross. You are absolutely forgiven. There is nothing more. Everything. Can you receive that this morning? Who needs help receiving that in their life? Is there something there? We need to pray through that and just begin to agree with God. God, I thank you for forgiveness. We don't have to go and ask forgiveness for that sin. God, I'm so sorry that I did that. It's done. But God, I thank you that I am forgiven. Help me to realize it. Help me to walk in that freedom. He canceled the record of debt. Another version says this stood against us with its legal demands. Starting to pull. In that same passage, not only we're free from sin, but we're free from the law. We're free from the law. We don't have to fulfill the righteous requirements that the law says. And we don't have to add any new requirements in the church today. We're free from the law. That was the only thing nailed to the cross that day. Jesus was nailed there. The sign, the king of the Jews was nailed there. But the law was also nailed to the cross. Such a powerful thing for the Jews at the time. And it needs to be powerful for us as we understand that we're trying to live so often under a new set of laws. We live in a new covenant, and the old covenant, Hebrews says, became obsolete. Living, doing certain things, trying to please a God by being holy, is obsolete. You can't be holy, because you already are. Nothing in you can make you holier than you already are. We are His righteousness. In Him, we are complete. That was nailed at the cross. The need to perform the law was nailed there. The Second Corinthians says that, that the law was nailed to the cross. It was a ministry. The law was a ministry of condemnation. That's what the law was. That's what trying to follow certain legal things, following the law was a ministry of condemnation because every time you tried to do it, you were condemned. 
Because the, Jesus said, if you break one, you might as well have broken them all. And we can't even keep them. We, we, we can't keep the ten, let alone the 613 other laws. I mean, I, I like shrimp, shellfish. You want to play football. Those are all part of the laws. You can't touch a dead animal and have a pig skin. You can't eat crustaceans and shellfish. and We can't do it. It was a ministry of condemnation, and that's been done away with. But what about the new law that we're trying to make? Be holy, do, serve, all these things in order to get a place or to be recognized or to be accepted by Christ. Don't add anything to Christ. Don't add anything. Let Christ draw you to Himself and hear His voice and you'll want to do the things that He's got for you. If it's serving, He'll tell you, He'll show you. But don't, don't do the law in order to become saved. Don't do the law in order to have a good relationship with Him. was nailed there. In just, in just a few minutes, we're going to receive communion. We won't pass it out yet. I'll let you know. But in this, this final thing, this final point in verse 15, it says, Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. I was going to ask Josh to bring, bring one of his guns. And, uh, I don't have any guns. You don't have any guns? No. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I was, I was going to bring, bring, bring a, a gun in here and, and, and talk about what, a, what I, my vision of a disarmed principality and powers. But at the cross, when Jesus went to the cross, he disarmed the principalities and powers. That's the spiritual realm. That means that the devil has no power over you. None. None. Now, in the, in the verbiage here in the Greek, when it says that he disarmed principality power, he made a public spectacle of them, trying to learn a minute. These are the words that they would use in the time when they would conquer the enemies. They would take all their weapons away, and they would put them in a procession, and they would parade them through the town so everybody could see that they were conquered foes, that they had no power, no weapons, nothing over them. That's the verbiage that was used here. That's what Christ did at the cross. He conquered death and hell. He conquered the power because the, the world that we live in was given over in power to Satan. We gave over, through Adam, we gave over all of our rights that God wanted us to walk in the moment Adam sinned. And the earth has been under a curse. And people have been under a curse ever since. And we were under the power of the enemy. But the moment we come to Christ, Christ, that power is broken for you. It's still in, in play for everyone who's not in Christ. But in Christ, that power is broken. But the picture I was getting was, was with a weapon. I was going to get, get, get just one of his, his guns and unload it completely. And yet some of you would still have a little bit of fear. See, the enemy has unloaded guns. And he points them at us. And we succumb. They have no power over you. They have no power over you. But we give it power by our fear. He's disarmed it. He's, he's a toothless lion. But every time we 
believe that He has power, we give Him all the power. God, help us to stand strong against that. And no, no enemy, I know when Christ went to the cross, He paraded you through the heavenlies and I saw that you were defeated. You have no weapons. You have no power over me. I'm in a new kingdom. Christ is the victor. And because we're in Him, so are we. 2 Corinthians 2.14 says, Thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphant procession. So we're in the triumphant procession. So now this is, gets a little bit better. Satan and his demons are paraded through without their weapons, powerless, but we are in the victor's parade saying, we conquered because we're in him. We don't just get to stand and say, oh, well, he's conquered. We're in the parade. He leads us in victorious triumph in the procession that says, Satan is our defeated foe. Don't live like he has mastery over you. Don't live like he has control. Rebuke him. Reject him. Let your mind be washed. Cleanse with the water of the word. Take every thought captive. Because the enemy is just trying to lie to you to say he has power. And it's not. The flesh, has you've been circumcised spiritually. The flesh has no power over you unless you give it power. All of these things are pointing to the in Christ. We are a new creation. The old is gone. All things have become new. He is everything we need. We don't need to add anything to our relationship with Him. I'm going to ask the those who are passing out the elements to go ahead and begin to pass out the communion elements. We're going to receive communion. And the reason I win is because we're going to take communion understanding who Christ is and who we are in Him. Thinking of these principles, you know, I was baptized in Him. Uh, my, my old man died. I remember him. I was circumcised spiritually. My flesh was removed and thrown away. Sometimes we act like we're just dragging our flesh and he's always, always thrown away. We, we, we agree with something that doesn't even exist any longer. We have power in Christ over the enemy, yet we act like he has power over us. We need to stand more and more and declare who we are and not agree with the lies of the enemy. In Christ, we have everything that we need. Go ahead and pass out the elements if you could. Thank you. As we take communion, the, the bread that we take represents the body of Christ. None of this is possible without the, the cross. None of this is possible without the suffering that Jesus did. He suffered so we didn't have to. And the bread that we're going to take is the representation that he had to suffer physically. No, oh, thank you. We will take together, so hold on to this for just a moment. Jesus had to suffer. He was betrayed. He didn't just have to die. There was other things that he had to go through in order for us to have complete redemption. In order 
easy for him to be able to triumph over the enemy. The amazing thing is for the enemy, the cross was his victory. He thought the cross was going to be his victory. And it ended up being his defeat. Because of Christ being crucified and rising from the grave, we have authority, power, new life, new creation. It should make us excited. And the blood, he spilled, he, he did a new covenant. We were in the old covenant. We were following the law. And Jesus, when he, the night that he had his last supper, the Passover, he took the, the cup off, he took the bread and he broke it. Give thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, it's broken for you. He took the cup, he said, this is uh, the new blood, and a new covenant, my blood and a new covenant. You know, in Colossians 2.14, it said that he wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. The new covenant wiped that out. In the, in the word there, they would write on parchment and they would write on things and they could wash them because they didn't have a lot of it. So they would write things and then they would just wash it off and write something new. And that's what this picture is. There was writing against you. Fulfill the law and there was writing against you of all of your sins and they washed it with the blood. And the new covenant is relationship with Him that we receive Him as a sacrifice for our sin. We accept that He paid the penalty so we don't have to. We don't have to work to gain it. We just have to receive it. And then as we do, we'll follow Him in obedience. Father, we thank You for Your blood, for Your body. God, we thank You for the cross and the victory that was won. That in You we are circumcised spiritually. We've been baptized into You, into Your death, but also then raised again in new life. We thank you that we have this amazing relationship that you, in you, is all the fullness of the Godhead and that we are in you and you are in us. God, we thank you that our flesh is gone and we walk in new life and that we also have walk in victory. That you defeated our enemies all through the cross and this morning we recognize that and we receive your sacrifice. And we ask for forgiveness. If you've never received Jesus, you can just ask Him this morning, God, forgive me for my sin. I trust in You for my salvation. I receive Your sacrifice for my sin. I commit my life into Yours. And for us saved, we've already been forgiven, but we thank You for your sacrifice, for your broken body. Let's take the bread together. It's your blood that cleanses me. It's your blood that makes me new, the song says. We agree. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for your sacrifice for us. Thank you that we are alive in you. We place our lives once again completely in you. Let's drink together.
Thank you, Father. Now this week, help us to understand these principles in a, in a greater way. Walking in the victory that you've already won at the cross. Knowing that we are dead to sin but alive in you. That we're made alive again. Walk with us this week. Bring us together in fellowship throughout the week in our life groups where we can rejoice and discover newness in you together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In case any of you moms are going away next week, happy Mother's Day. with a plate of food.